Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Game Day podcast from TalkSport with me, Sam Matterface, TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook, and everybody's favourite former Chelsea left-back, former Charlton left-back, Benfica left-back, West Ham left-back, Scott Minto. On today's pod, Varsicle. There were so many bad decisions made this weekend, you would have thought the Southampton board were making them. Have Arsenal thrown away their chance of winning the Premier League? Who is going to own Manchester United by the end of next week? And... Why does no one want to take charge of Leeds? It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Well, gents, before we get into the games themselves, let's go through uh, the weekend's big talking points. And a lot of it centres on VAR. Now, I'm sure everyone's poured over these decisions over and over and over again, but there were so many match-changing decisions. It was pull-your-hair-out time if you've been an advocate for VAR over the years. Um, Scott, Alex, we, we've talked about VAR so many times, and one of the things that Crook and I have got this thing um, impression is that once one decision seems to go the wrong way in that VAR room, then all of them over the weekend, all the big ones seem to go away. It's like a cascade. It's like dominoes. Once one makes a mistake, they all seem to make a mistake. And I don't know if you've ever been in that VAR room, but it's quite a sort of, uh, it's a big sort of communal area where there's a lot of different VAR stations. So they're all in there together. And I just wonder whether it's catching. Once one makes a mistake, it's in everybody else's head that they've got to be ultra uh, connected. And then they just they just lose their brains. It was It was bizarre, wasn't it? It, it was. And, and as you say, we've had weekends like this in the past where once one VAR official makes a blunder, the others seem to follow suit. <laughs> While I respect Howard Webb for putting his head above the parapet and issuing that grovelling apology to Brighton and Arsenal, he could have sent one to Chelsea uh, as well, by the way. But it's hollow, isn't it? Because, you know, these are, these are game-changing, season-defining moments. If Arsenal lose the league title by two points come May... I don't think Howard Webb's apology in the middle of February for, you know, just an inexplicable blunder is going to make them feel any better. Same for Brighton. They went into the weekend, uh, Roberto De Zerbi, with ambitions of gate-crashing the top four. If they don't achieve that, if they miss out on European football by a couple of points, again, the apology won't mean much to them. Listen, the problem isn't the technology, and I've always said this. I think VAR, we've seen it work in international tournaments. We've seen it work in foreign leagues. The problem is the idiots who are using the technology. The standard of officiating in this country, and I've said it for a while, Sam, is not fit for purpose when you consider the Premier League to be the best league, the richest league in the world. And until the PGMOL get a hold of that, and I think Howard Webb is trying to get a hold of that, nothing is going to change. We're going to keep having these conversations. How can you forget 
to draw the lines on the pitch. How can you be so focused and so obsessed by one Brentford player who might be offside that you miss the guy at the far post who is actually offside? I mean, come on, guys. Get a grip of this situation. I mean, look... Let's just say Howard Webb's only just come back to the Premier League. He's only just got hold of this organisation and he will turn it round, I'm sure. And we've got to give him time to do that. There's an elite performance programme where the referees, new referees are trying to uh, come through the system. They're trying to fast track that. And in five or six years time, I'm sure we'll be talking about that we've got the best officials in, in the world. But right here, right now, that does nothing to console Brighton fans. That decision was outrageous. They forgot to put the mark on Mark Gurhey when they should have done, and that goal would have stood. Estepinian's goal would have stood. And then you've got the other incident with Arsenal, which is the big one, really. I mean, I don't think we've made enough of it. They might not win the title now, and it could come down to that decision. Look, you can't just blame refereeing decisions. There were other incidents in that game. There were 89 other minutes during the course of that football match where Arsenal should have taken charge of it and should have done better against a Brentford team that, although are in good form, would be expected to be knocked over by potential champions. But, but, you cannot, you cannot have a decision like this without some sort of action, can you, Scott? Someone's got to do something. There's got to be some sort of big statement so that people know that it's unacceptable to miss those opportunities. There's two of them in that room that are having a look at it, and a video operator. How has it happened? There's, There's six eyes looking at that. That's the end of the pod, isn't it? I think we've done an hour already. <laughs> I, I don't know what more I can add to what both of you have said. You, you know I'm an advocate of VAR, and, and I, it's not VAR that's the problem. It's the people uh, using VAR. You know, you, you look at the Suchek one. I was at the, the London Stadium, and, and how can anyone not see that that's a goalkeeping save from Thomas Suchek? The ball has gone behind his body and hit his arm. That's a save. Do you know, but before we go any further, let's focus on that because we've done the other two and we understand what the situation is. But the Thomas Sochet one we haven't uh, visited yet. You were with me watching that. You were sitting in the row in front of me and we both turned around and just went penalty straight away. There was no there was no doubt about it. We saw it once on a monitor and then we made our decision. But what I thought was more galling about that was that afterwards we were given advice from the uh, PGMOL that the reason that that decision was not overturned and the VAR didn't get involved was because Thomas Socek's arm was on the floor breaking his fall. Therefore, it was not a handball offence. I mean, that is just manipulating the rules of the game to justify a bad decision. You are much better coming out and saying, do you know what? We made a mistake rather than a mealy-mouthed excuse as to why a decision was not given. And that is something that I think must change immediately because sometimes people just make mistakes. Put your hands up or down if you're someone's subject <laughs> um, and, 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 and take responsibility for your actions. And, and you know what, Sam? That's what Howard is trying to do. Look, I don't know the guy. I really don't. But I feel like I'm, I'm defending him. Um, what, what more can he do at the moment? Look, we, we know that VAR um, has gone, still has not found the right balance. I'm a, a great believer of the 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 beliefs that Howard has in terms of a light touch and trying not to get, to get involved yeah. unless you really have to. But the individuals still need to take responsibility for what they're doing in that game. And while I agree and still we're always going to argue, if anyone thinks that because we've got VAR, it's going to be 100% consistent, we're going to get decisions 100% right, 
it ain't going to happen. Stop looking for the consistency because you still got the people making their own decisions, the judgment calls on the VAR. But that is just a basic error. And where Howard has come out and apologised for the other two, he should come out and apologise for that as well. Because that was a, you know, I thought Graham Potter actually dealt with it incredibly well. When you think about the amount of pressure that's on him at the moment, the amount of people that are desperate to jump on the bandwagon of saying, look at what Chelsea have done over the last two decades. He's got to go. He's under pressure. You know, if, if they're not in the top four by the end of the season. And yet those two points are as critical to him as those two points are as critical to Mikel Arteta. So, look, I feel like I'm now getting as passionate as you two. Are oh, you shaking your head there, Sam? But I, do, Graham I Potter, don't think Graham Potter feels under pressure. I don't think he does. Well, I, hope I mean, I stood with him in the room afterwards and I had to try and coax it out of him to talk about the penalty decision. It was like, yeah, well, you know, you get some, you don't get some. Like, Hold on. It's a proper, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't a light touch. This was a heavy touch. This was, and, he, and in the end, he said, he said, yeah, well, it was a good save by Thomas. You know, I've only seen it once. It was a good save. Uh, brilliant. Like, yeah, okay. But like, stop being, stop being so calm about it. Be annoyed. Grab the microphone and scream down it how much you, you know, you're furious about VAR. I mean, actually, David Moyes was more furious about the goal that was disallowed at the other end of the field. Mm. And that was legitimately... Yeah, but that, that, Sam, was a deflection. That's Moisey deflecting from what he knows. If that was the other way around, oof, he'd have had you up by his neck and saying, are you, you, you a Howard <laughs> Webb kind of lookalike? I'll, I'll have you. But no, look, that, that was a deflection. Well, a little bit more hair than Howard. Absolutely. Don't you, don't you, it's don't looking you. very well, by the way. You've quiffed it up nicely this morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, but look, th there's a lot wrong with VR at the moment. And, and you were right, Sam, to say there that Howard's only just come in and he's got to turn it around and... You know, I think he's given the right directive. Don't change things unless you really believe it's 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 wrong. But there's enough decisions there. We, we talk about the other two, which is obvious. How can you spend three minutes on one and then panic that you're not even looking at another line? That's just, that's poor individual um, professionalism, really, that Howard Webb can't do anything about. But in terms of this, this one, he almost needs to say, look, this is my directive. But guys, come on. You've got to referee this in the way that you should know whether it's a, a handball or not. That's a handball. And then don't come out with the arm supporting the hand, supporting the connected to the collarbone, connected to the whatever. You know, it's just ridiculous. Yeah. OK, we've got a couple of other big things to just rat rattle through before we get into the games uh, themselves. Uh, Pep against the world, um, a rather defiant response to the charges made against uh, Manchester City this week. I mean, he, he, he's using it, isn't he? And, and quite rightly so. This is a tool now for him, right? To create a siege mentality. And I think it's likely to work, actually, isn't it? Because the, the Manchester City fans very much got behind their team on Sunday. And his team looked in, in fine fettle. I mean, they didn't actually play particularly well, but they, they, they still managed to win that game with relative ease against a very average Aston Villa team. We'll get onto that in just a second. But his pre-match rant in the press conference about how basically he wants to bring down the establishment and or every every other club in the Premier League were after him. And, you know, it, it, it was, it, now I'm definitely staying. Now I'm definitely staying because he wants to put trophies back on the table. He's like, wow, you know, he properly went for it. Um, Manchester United, the date for the bids to go into Rain, the Merchant Bank, um, closes at well, it's a soft deadline, isn't it? It goes in this Friday. Um, Jim Ratcliffe has, has definitely submitted a bid. This Qatari group, I'm not entirely sure, have submitted a bid. And I wonder whether or not, and I mentioned this in a in a bar on Wednesday night with Adrian Durham and Crookie and a few others. 
I wonder whether or not the Glazers are going to be able to sell this club at all, Crook. Um, well, I think there's a little bit of a suspicion um, amongst some of the interested parties that maybe they're not as committed to a full sale as maybe is being made out. I actually spoke to somebody reasonably close to Manchester United over the weekend and they felt like the Glazers are willing um, to sell 100% of their shares. But it's all about the money, isn't it? They value the club at $6 billion, which is $2 billion more, I think, than Chelsea went for. I think some of the interested parties believe that's a little bit overpriced, bearing in mind they're going to have to invest heavily um, in the stadium. The playing squad is in need of an overhaul this coming summer as well. I've always been a bit sceptical about this Qatari bid um, because... Obviously, Qatar already own Paris Saint-Germain. You can't own two clubs competing in the same UEFA competition as United hope to be in the Champions League next season. Then I was told at the end of last week, actually, this is a separate group. It's not Qatar Sports Investment. It's not the Paris Saint-Germain owners, although they will be consulted. But I think UEFA are going to have to have a, a long, hard look at this because... The, the 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 line is tenuous, isn't it, between uh, Qatari sports investment and this group of private individuals? I've never felt like Sir Jim Radcliffe has the has the spending power to complete such a big takeover. But we know now that he's possibly going to have to borrow money in order to get it over the line. Do Manchester United fans really want that? That's the thing they've been protesting against when it comes to the Glazers for the last 20 years. I don't think a sale is close. I think this deadline is a waste of time, to be honest with you, because if a, a decent bid comes in after the deadline, the Rain Bank are not going to turn it away, are they? No. Um, I mean, there's a couple of points here. The first thing is, it's just because there is another group that comes from Qatar doesn't necessarily mean they're the same group that are buying PSG. You might say that the line is tenuous and it may well need investigating, but two different people from the same country can buy a football club. For example, FSG are Americans, Todd Bowley's an American. You know, at the end of the day, it may well be a completely separate group. Until you know that, there's no you can't just blithely say that because they're Qatari, they're the same people that own a PSG. The, the, the QSI. Now, it may well be that that's the case, but we don't know that, so we need to find Sam, out. Sam, if, that, if that's the case, then why why does, um, you know, the, the guy from the PSG need to be consulted? Nazir El Khalifa. Yeah. I mean, that's the, the other issue is, is that he is a big advisor. He's the, not the sports minister, but he is the advisor to the Emir of Qatar, yes. which is another another area of I mean look you're, you're right conflict of interest you're absolutely right just in the same way that we've all got to think about Manchester City you know innocent until proven guilty but all, all we can say is what what we think at the moment and the investigations need to prove one way or the other but what we have yeah. had in the past is states nation states sort of saying no it's just a company it's not to do us and we know the trail goes back to them Absolutely. And, and, Absolutely. And I'm not sure the, uh, I'm with Crookie and that. And I, again, I understand what you're trying to say. I'm not sure you can compare Qatar to America. I understand the principle of what you're saying, but they are two very, very different countries in, in for many reasons. Absolutely. Uh, the other problem is, of course, is that it is incredibly overpriced because if you're trying to charge someone £6 billion for something that needs £2 billion to be renovated and then another billion pounds to sort out its main product, then that is a major issue. You're actually asking someone for £9 billion and I don't think, even in my wildest dreams, that Manchester United are worth £9 billion, which is why there isn't as many bidders. But I've always had this view that as soon as they said that it was up for sale, the share price went like that. It went up 14%. It went up again the other day when they said uh, that uh, someone was interested. And I just think, do you know what? I've got a feeling they won't sell it. I may be completely wrong about it. I may be completely misjudging the situation. I've got a feeling 
that it will not be a wholesale sale of Manchester United. Welcome to a big London derby of East versus West. And Emerson Palmieri had the simple task of popping it past Kepler and Ida Balaga, and it's West Ham 1, Chelsea 1. That handball by Socek. It's a handball, isn't it's it? It's absolutely a handball. I mean, how are VIR not looking at that? Up to the edge of the area. Barnes makes space, goes for oh, goal. That's wow. four. Spurs thought they might hit top four. They this afternoon have been hit for four. Ivan Tony's got his goal, and what an important goal it could be in the Premier League title race. Arsenal 1, Brentford 1. Manchester City hot on the heels of Arsenal. Derek! Get it blows the whistle, and that's the response from St Mary's. Southampton one, Wolves two. Game over, Fulham two, Nottingham Forest now with two minutes to go. Palace remain though without a win in 2023. It finished here, Crystal Palace one, Brighton one. Five draws in six games now, and they are struggling to score goals. It finishes here, Bournemouth one, Newcastle one. Marcus Rashford again with ten minutes left here, who may well have stolen the points for Manchester United. Roll on Wednesday against Arsenal. Manchester City three, Aston Villa one. Let's start Arsenal 1 at Brentford 1. Um, Ivan Tony's controversial equaliser wasn't properly investigated by VAR. We know the reasons why. They made an error. They were so concentrated on the blocking from Ethan Pinnock, they didn't check out Christian Norgard at the far post. And that was a major issue. Um, it means that Ivan Tony has scored 15 goals this season with only Kane and Haaland scoring more. Uh, Arsenal, I think, conceded a couple of opportunities actually before they went in front in the first half of that game. I think Brentford rattled them early on, Scott. Now, you and I both did the previous game between the two where Arsenal was so far on top mm. of them that they smothered them out of the game mm. from the minute the game kicked off. That did not happen at the Emirates on Saturday. Are they just starting to lose a little bit of their edge? Well, absolutely, over the last two games. And I actually think, as, as strange as it may sound, the, the FA Cup almost acted like a bit like an international week. If you think about the Manchester United game beforehand, where they somehow found a way to, to get all three points, they just wanted to play Premier League game after Premier League game. And it almost... Of course it mattered getting, you know, the FA Cup. And of course it mattered you, you're playing against Manchester City. But he made changes. And since then, they've not been the same side. And it's almost as if, yeah, you know, they needed to go on the roll and keep that momentum going. And they haven't done that. Look, what Sean Dyche did with Everton was amazing. That can happen. But then you need to bounce back and come back with three points. That's what champions do. They respond in the right way. And you're right, Ivan Tony bullied that defence and we haven't seen that. And I've seen Arsenal enough this season to say, if they carry on playing like that, they're going to win the title. We know that not all teams can do that for the full 38 games, but this was such a big game for them in terms of making a statement. We're coming back, we've got Man City coming up and if we win that, we're eight points ahead with a game in hand. Definitely is a wobble. Now we're going to have to see how they react on Wednesday. Crook, can I ask you whether or not you think that maybe the lack of rotation is costing Arsenal dear? They've made only 14 changes to their starting lineup over the course of the season in the Premier League. Now, you compare that to the Graham Potter, who has changed his team 67 times since he arrived at Chelsea. I mean, that's the extreme. Uh, but 14 seems to be rather minimal. And I wonder whether that means that they could be running out of gas. 
I think inevitably, uh, physically and mentally, they've got themselves into a, a great position to end their 20-year wait for a Premier League title. I think once you get to the middle of February and you've got clear daylight between you and the chasing pack, I don't care who you are, there's no way that that can't start to to get in your head and seep into the dressing room. So I think that's a problem. Uh, I think physically, they do look a little bit jaded. People like Bukayo Saka, I don't think maybe is quite firing like he was earlier in the season. And this is a wobble now, as Scott said. You know, the, the Man City game, they took a lot of positives from that, but they still lost. There weren't too many positives from the Everton game. Uh, and actually, I was getting messages from Mrs. Crook, big Arsenal fan, during the first half of the weekend, and she was saying Arsenal have lost it. Um, which seemed a little bit extreme. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of controversy about the way they dropped two points. But I don't think anybody who watched the game, watched the 90 minutes, can argue that Brentford didn't deserve something. And um, I think there's huge pressure on Arsenal now going into this game against Manchester City to find themselves second in the table by the middle of February, having had a very decent lead at one point. I think psychologically would be a hammer blow, even though, of course, they will have games in hand. I'm just delighted she's still messaging you, despite the fact that you didn't go home on Sunday night and you're still wearing the clothes that you wore to the Super Bowl party. <laughs> can, I, can, I, can I just say quick, a, a, a deflection as much to help Crookie out with his marital status right now as, as anything else? <laughs> I, I genuinely think we need to say, this is two games, guys. This is two games. Um, Three. Well, I don't really count the FA Cup in terms of in in that sense. And actually, you—that's where it started. They, though, Scott, well, isn't well it? The, only, the, no. the only major trophy you won in English football doesn't count, Scott. No, I'm not saying that. And we all know how important the FA Cup is. And if you want, I'll go get the medal. <laughs> I'm backtrack. I, hold on, hold on. There's a crooky reverse coming well, on here, Scott. If, if I do do reverse, I get the medal out for you. I'll show. I'll show you what it's like. <laughs> um, no, no. Look, it. what we're talking pure Premier League here, and and. Uh, Obviously, I've spoken before about my thoughts of the FA Cup, not because I won it, but because I grew up in the 70s and 80s, how important, how big a day it was. I love the FA Cup. Let's park that. We're talking Premier League here. It's two matches, you know, and I feel that FA Cup game almost just, you know, two games ago, we're saying, isn't it great that he's been so consistent with his team selection and that's why they're top. And now we're saying he's tight, they're, they're all tight. Season goes like that, guys. It's up and down. It's about reacting. It's the psychological. It's the mental thing. And then the body takes it through. This is two games. It's not been good. They are having a wobble. They need to bounce back. They cannot afford to lose against Manchester City. But that's what happens in a season. There are ups and downs. Champions bounce There are back. ups and downs, but it's all been up up until this point. So the whole season has been going north for Arsenal until they've got to this point. The only setback that they suffered in the first half of the season was the one at Old Trafford. And they immediately, immediately jumped back. The fact that they haven't, I think, will concern Mikel Arteta, who did get a little bit uppity in after the game against Everton and he was not happy and quite understandably so by the way after the game against Brentford because that goal should have been ruled out now that could be costly in terms of the title because Manchester City breathing down their necks after a 3-1 victory against Aston Villa the two play each other on Wednesday night before we get on to that I just want to pay tribute to Brentford and Thomas Frank mm. whose team are 10 games unbeaten and they're not only 10 games unbeaten they haven't played Aston Villa and Southampton during that run they played Liverpool City Spurs Arsenal during that period that is mightily impressive I, I mean they, they deserve a round of applause don't they anyway back to Arsenal against Manchester City which is the big game on Wednesday night all eyes will be on it Manchester City obviously responded to their own setbacks in terms of off-field issues against Aston Villa they still didn't look quite right to me but 
Pep almost took the mick a little bit, Scott, because he's decided that your old position is now redundant. <laughs> it was Anyone when I played. Play there, right? Anyone can play there. Even little titchy Bernardo Silva can play at left back. And if he does play there, he doesn't have to play there very often. Yeah. He can just dip in and dip out of it. Is it a part-time position, left back? Oh, you're bang out of order, Sam. Um, what, what were you when you were playing? Left back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think it's, I mean, fullback really hasn't been your conventional fullback in the Pep Guardiola team for, for years, has it? You know, and he's playing midfielders at fullback, but then asking them to go into midfield. He's playing right backs, asking them to go in, into midfield there. But then Carl Walker, he's perhaps more of a, a third centre half that just sits in. So it, it's fullbacks within his squad. Each full, different fullback does a different role. But yeah, look, it, it's it's incredible, isn't it? How. You can let Joao Cancelo go, sort of go three at the back, ask Bernardo Silva to drop in. They're just that good. And Villa weren't. You know, let, let me tell you, they ain't going to play like that at the Emirates. If they do, then they will get beat. So it's all very well getting away when you're completely on top against a team like Aston Villa, who are not playing particularly well at the moment. It's another thing when you're playing against your title contenders. This is a big game on Wednesday night. And it means that if... Manchester City win this match they go top of the table that psychologically even though Arsenal will still have a game in hand is is quite important isn't it absolutely um I, I guess the big question for, for Manchester City will Erling Haaland be fit obviously he would be a, a massive loss I'm, I'm kind of leaning even towards if he's the... on the bench will he just have the same number of touches <laughs> well, I'm kind of <laughs> leaning towards the opinion they probably just took him off as a precaution but yeah I, I think the onus is there for Manchester City now I think they need to start building momentum we've said all season that if one team are capable of stringing together a run of successive victories and clawing back that deficit it is Manchester City they've been there before and I think there's going to be a bit of nervousness around the Emirates as well if Manchester City score early I think the Emirates is going to be a lot quieter than we've become accustomed to this season. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. <laughs> Underway on TalkSport 2 as another game day continues across the network this weekend. Perisic sends it in again, drops to the far post and this time it has gone in. Tottenham Hotspur lead and I think it's Rodrigo Bentancourt and Leicester's home form continues to cause concern. It's held to the far post and headed off the line by Bentancourt. Driven back in, what a goal! Napa! 
Alice Mendy! Any goalkeeper in the world in that Tottenham goal is not saving that dance. What a strike! I'll break off Cassisi and Nacho at the edge of the area, squares it for Madison! 2-1 to Leicester! What a turnaround! Oh my goodness, what a game we've got on our hands this afternoon. What is it about Leicester-Tottenham games that just keeps producing goal after goal after goal? Ian Acho suddenly played in behind, faced up by Dyer, gets to the edge of the area, gets it on his oh. left and makes it three! And Antonio Conte is not having a happy return to the Spurs dugout this afternoon. What a finish! And what a first half for Leicester City. Now Ian Acho, good skill, slips in Harvey Barnes. Brilliant goal! 4-1 Leicester! There's a VAR shout in this dance and I just don't understand how because I've seen a replay offside. of it, he looks onside to me as well. This goal is going to be called off for offside. Oh, wow. Barnes makes space, goes for oh, goal! That's wow. four! That is number four! And when Spurs thought they might hit top four, they this afternoon have been hit for four by Leicester City. Poor old Antonio Conte uh, probably needs another anaesthetic uh, because uh, after going under the knife and having his gallbladder removed, more pain, I'm afraid, away at the King Power Stadium. He got himself back to full fitness. I mean, God, I mean, I'll tell you what, that is commitment, isn't it, from him uh, coming out of hospital after that big operation and getting back on the touchline for this game, although he probably wishes that he stayed at home. Um, but Leicester survived what was an early onslaught in which Christensen made a great clearance off the line then had a part in scoring and helping uh, set up a goal uh, for Tottenham Hotspur. But then after that, it was all one-way traffic, wasn't it? And I think, what a brilliant response from Brendan Rodgers and his team. Wasn't a great debut for Pedro Porro, was it? More Pedro Porro, uh, based on what we saw uh, at the King Power. <laughs> and I think, I think you saw the importance of Romero to that Tottenham side as well, because Eric Dyer had a dire afternoon. So Leicester were Leicester were well worthy of their win. I think actually credit to Brendan Rodgers because there hasn't been any great investment in that squad for a long time now. He did get some of his, his own players in in the January transfer window and already they made an impact. I think Tete look, looks yeah. an excellent addition, a really exciting player. Um, Suter seems to have fitted in quite well as well. You mentioned Christensen. So Leicester now for me are, are easily going to propel themselves to safety. But who'd be a Tottenham fan? You beat Manchester City, you play the champions off the park one week, and then you're going to get absolutely thumped by a team in the relegation battle a week later. By the way, Antonio Conte, I don't think he made as big a deal about being back in the dugout after his operation as Scott Minto did about being late for this podcast this morning. <laughs> it's true, it's true, it's true, yeah. Uh, what did you have removed, Scott? Uh, we do not want to go there. <laughs> Just to illustrate my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not in a great way. Um, I actually wrote on my uh, piece of paper, is it typical Spurs to beat City and then lose so badly uh, to Leicester? The answer to that question is yes. Um, in addition, though, to solidifying the Leicester defence, uh, Valt Fass is also Liverpool's top scorer <laughs> since Christmas. How impressive is that? What a guy. Uh, <laughs> what does... Uh, what, what, what does Antonio Conte do from here because it's it's falling apart rather quickly because they've also lost uh, Rodrigo Bentenko for the rest of the season after a collision with uh, Pelis Mendy. Do, do you know what? I mean, I, I look at the table and um, I don't think Manchester United will win the title and I don't think they'll be there right at the very end. But I've said for a good few weeks now that I think they will finish third. I think Newcastle are the ones who are the vulnerable ones. And then you look at the table 
this has never been a better opportunity for Spurs to finish in the Champions League place because of where Chelsea and Liverpool are. With respect to Brighton, Fulham and Brentford, as great seasons as they're having, I don't think they're going to be there. So at this moment in time, unless one of the big boys go on a really big run, it's between Newcastle and Spurs. So to do what they did against Manchester City, where they seem to love playing against City, especially at home anyway, don't they? But And then the very next game, to be that bad. I mean, look, I, I sort of watched the the highlights of it and I spoke to Dance, actually, who, who was doing the game for talk to, to say, look, you know, what did you think? But I watched it and I just saw the gap between the defence and the midfield. What you talk about fast being top scorer for Liverpool in 2023, what, what a tackle it was. But one tackle has gone straight through and suddenly they're at Eric Dyer, who just keeps on backing off until it almost get on the goal line. I was going to ask you about that because what I couldn't understand with Kalichi Iheanacho when he scored that goal was why da- uh, Eric Dyer was backing off so much that he didn't commit to making a tackle. At some point, when you're in that situation as a defender, you've got to do something, haven't you? You can't just keep moving backwards. Well, you know, being the great left back that you were, Sam, you know exactly Absolutely. you know what to do. And, and what you do do is you show them on their wrong foot. Yeah. So it's absolutely a pace thing. And you, you, you talk about Eric Dyer. He knows he's played that role long enough now. He's got that lack of pace. But you cannot be backing off, backing off, backing off and let the guy shoot. You're not doing anything. So it, it's, it's actually quite basic defending. And someone like him, who's predominantly, I think, a holding midfielder being asked to play in that role, you have to get tighter. But his initial, his initial starting position was poor. OK, he perhaps didn't expect the fast tackle to come through to Inacho like that. But you've got to be tighter in the first place. You've got to be thinking, I can't let this guy turn and run at me. Because once you do, yeah. he is quicker than me and he's going to beat me. But <laughs> you're right. There comes to a point where you've got to try and make a tackle. He didn't even do any, do any of them. Yeah, you try and get a block in or something. You've got, you've got to attempt to do something. You've got to affect it. Because if you don't affect it, then he's going to get the shot. Away. What's the point and of being on the pitch? Every chance that he's going to score as a result of that. Uh, you uh, talked about uh, the gap between defence and uh, midfield for Tottenham was a problem. There's also a gap between Fraser Forster's hands, which were uh, exposed quite badly. Uh, I wonder if Tim uh, Castagna is still having heart palpitations about that back pass as well, because that was a moment <laughs> where, where I'm sure he was like, oh no, oh no, please, please, please don't, don't, don't. Anyway, he was lucky he got away with it. And so did uh, Leicester City. They played well in the end. Uh, right, let's move on to Manchester United because uh, Crook was commentating this game for TalkSport International. And better late than never, United netting two goals in the final 10 minutes to take the game away from a plucky Leeds United who had chances. What a spicy encounter this was. Weston McKenney seems to have read the memo about derby tackles, hasn't he? Yeah, I think he went through uh, someone in the first 30 seconds, um, yeah. Weston McKinney. And then Sancho uh, straight afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Sancho had a tough game, actually, um, and was rightly taken off and replaced by Ganacho. Um, first of all, it was a spicy encounter. It was a great atmosphere, by and large, but we should condemn uh, the tragedy chance from both sets of supporters. I can't. Which both clubs did as well. Yeah, they did. And I can't get my head around why that still goes on in 2023. But that's not that. Let's not. Let that detract from, as you say, what was a great occasion. <laughs> Similar story for Leeds for much of their season, really. For 60, 70 minutes, they were the better side. David De Gea, on his 400th Premier League appearance, made a couple of excellent saves. And then Eric Ten Hag, whose game management, by and large, since he came to the club, has been spot on, uh, made a couple of tactical tweaks. And that ultimately won the game for Manchester United. Terrific header from Marcus Rashford. 
a facet to his game that we didn't really see until Ten Hag came in. Brilliant pass from Valt Veghorst to Tiap Ganacho and an excellent finish from a young player who was criticised by his manager in midweek for lacking an end product. There you go, Gaffer. Eat your words. And I think, again, brilliant man management from Eric Ten Hag. And I want to pick out Veghorst for special praise. I know you're going to ask the question, where would United be without Marcus Rashford? Well, the stats tell us the answer would be mid-table. But Veghorst, who I was critical of in midweek, he gets so little service in this Manchester United team because of the way that the wingers like to cut inside and don't really put crosses into the area. The way that he led the line, his hold-up play, his touch, some of his flick-ons, absolutely first class. And that really gave Manchester United the springboard to go on and win the game. I thought he was man of the match, Veghorst. So when we said to you a couple of weeks ago against Nottingham Forest that he put in an almost exemplary display as a centre-forward um, and basically linked the play and helped Manchester United improve as a team in that particular game. And then the other night when you saw him after you'd had a you know, two or three drinks, <laughs> you decided that he was a donkey and told everybody that he was useless and you didn't know what he did. Now you're a little bit more sober, only a little bit more sober. Uh, you watch the game from a professional point of view this weekend. You actually notice how much work he does. So is this what we would call a, a backtrack, a, a big vehicle reversing here? No, because you can play badly in one game and be criticised and then play well in an, but you another him a donkey and get plaudits. Yeah, maybe that was a little bit harsh. But you're also forgetting the conversation <laughs> we had with that rather cocky Leeds fan in the pub. And I told him, I said, don't worry, you've got a point in your cup final. United were rubbish for 70 minutes. They'll beat you on Sunday. Look what happened. Oh, yeah. Oh, you did, yeah. I told you so. You better t- Good job you turned that, that conversation around. Well done. Um... <laughs> a couple, a couple <laughs> of wine gums rather than a couple of beers and he's, he's suddenly, you know, giving a donkey and all this and that. It is amazing, isn't it? Either up there or down there with, with, with Crookie. You know, how Mrs. Yeah. Crook deals with him on a daily basis, I just don't know. <laughs> um, but it is fickle though, isn't it, the business? But Manchester United, you know, quietly but uh, confidently are starting to incrementally eat away at the leads that the other two teams above them have uh, built up. So is there any chance that this, this two-horse title race, which was a one-horse title race two weeks ago, could end up being a three-horse title race? I don't think so. I, I think what Ten Hag has done is nothing short of sensational. I didn't have them at the start of the season, even in the top four. Um, and I think even to finish fourth, I think would be massive. To get Manchester United back into the Champions League would still be progression from where they were. And when you think, as Crookie was saying, you know, not just on the pitch with Brentford, but off the pitch with Ronaldo. So what, 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 you've, what you're basically asking is, are they capable of going on a really good run and also two teams dropping sufficient enough points. From what we've seen, how we base that on, they're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. City aren't going to... Manchester United have already been on a very good run. And they have to do that again. And that's not easy. You know, so let's see. Let's see. I look, can, can I say categorically they're not and they won't? I can't say 100%. The, the, the table says that they can trying to use my little bit of knowledge that I have on football to, to think that will City drop enough points? Will Arsenal drop enough points? Will United carry on that run? I don't think so. But but still, yeah. finishing top four is still an absolutely fantastic achievement for Ten Hag. Bournemouth won, Newcastle United won. The Eddie Howe derby, Newcastle extending their unbeaten run, equaling a club record of 17 games. Although it has been a little bit of a stutter because uh, now they're trying to get into the top four and the cup finals on the horizon. They've just started to drop a few points, a few draws in there for Newcastle United. In fact, four of the last five league games have ended 
in uh, stalemates. Um, but it was an emotional day, Crook, for Eddie Howe. You spoke to him afterwards. You were down at the ground on Saturday. What was the atmosphere like? I imagine they were all very happy to see him. Yeah, they were. He got standing ovation as he as he got off the coach. He kept a very low profile uh, in the preliminaries. Jason Tyndall, his assistant, former Bournemouth manager, was uh, very visible, exchanging pleasantries with former colleagues. You didn't see Eddie Howe uh, until a couple of minutes before kickoff, and then he almost snuck into the away dugout. He did tell me that he made a conscious effort to make sure he got in the right dugout, having, of, of course, occupied the home <laughs> one for so long. But it was a lovely moment at the end of the game when he was applauded by all four sides. The Newcastle fans got involved in that as well because he didn't get a chance to say farewell when he left the club back in 2020 but I get the impression from speaking to people close to Eddie Howe he's just relieved that that circus is over now because he isn't someone who enjoys being centre of attention isn't someone who enjoys the limelight and I don't think he would have enjoyed uh, if Newcastle had beaten Bournemouth particularly and, and sent them closer to relegation you're right to point out the fact they're struggling to win games despite the unbeaten run they're struggling for goals as well Callum Wilson missing the game with a minor hamstring injury. Alexander Isak's only scored one now in his last seven. And you have to uh, go back to November the 6th. Since then, Newcastle have only scored more than one goal in a single Premier League game on one occasion. I think it's a problem. And I think it's a problem that could cost them their place in the top four and could cost them that cup final. Having said all that, we both felt in midweek and Adrian Durham laughed us out of town in that bar in Manchester. We felt Bournemouth could get something from this game. They played really well. And uh, the signings they made in January, Dongo Watara has fitted in to the Premier League with ease. Uh, I think Hamed Traore looks a decent addition as well. I'm not going to say Bournemouth will stay up because it's difficult down there, but I give them more of a chance than Southampton, their South Coast rivals. Yeah, but that's not too difficult, is it? Um, In terms of uh, that uh, that, that bold claim that we made on this sofa uh, last Thursday, which was that they would get a point or something against Newcastle, uh, it was probably born out of the fact that we'd seen Newcastle just stutter slightly. Um, But Bournemouth themselves, especially under Gary O'Neill, have been tactically aware, haven't they? They've just been a little bit unlucky in terms of not being able to have the quality, the necessary quality, which is desired, required uh, to keep them either in the Premier League or to attack some of these bigger teams. But they certainly dealt with the pressure at the weekend and with the return of Eddie Howe, everyone had a point uh, to prove. But they have just won one of their last 13 Premier League matches. Uh, You talked about goals. Miguel Almiron scored some goals though, hasn't he? And he was back scoring again this weekend. 10 goals in 22 Premier League games. It was a good tidy finish uh, from him. Uh, Dan Byrne, another one like uh, Castagna, had a few heart palpitations because of, a, a well, I don't know what he was doing. He just seemed to stop as the ball was pl- paced, placed to him by a Nick Pope. And he didn't know where to go with the ball. And he ended up needing Kieran Trippier to get him out of a very uh, tight spot. But it was a point well earned from Newcastle United and another one on the road to trying to get into the top four. I mean, the way the Premier League table looks right now, uh, the top four look like this with uh, Newcastle, 41 points from 22 games. Manchester United, 46 from 23. Manchester City, 48 from 22. And Arsenal, top of the pop, 51 uh, from 21. But the two teams that are lurking, trying to nick that place in the top four at this moment in time are Tottenham and Brighton. Tottenham aren't very good. They've got 39 points. How? Uh, From 23 games. So Newcastle have got a game in hand on them. And Brighton have two games in hand on Tottenham. They've got 35 points from 23. One. Uh, let's talk about Southampton then because they sacked Nathan Jones. End of the road for him after yet another damaging uh, defeat. We'll get to who comes next in just a second. But Scott, it was an, a 
abysmal turn of events, wasn't it? I mean, first of all, Lamina should never have been sent off. The first one wasn't really a yellow card. The second one was just absolutely ludicrous. Didn't even speak to uh, the referee, Jared Gillett, and got a second yellow card. So I think we can put that in the the column of bad officiating weekend. Uh, But in terms of letting a game slip through your fingers, if you are 1-0 up against 10 men and you desperately need to make sure that you get something from the game, even if you do concede one goal, you can't concede two, can you? No, no. And and, and first of all, again, on the officiating, it was almost like, oh, don't gang up on me. You're, you're the third one coming over. I'll give it to you. I mean, ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. But also, if that is a rule, and apparently I understand that that is a directive from referees that in order to stop being rushed by a group of players, the third one that comes over gets a yellow card automatically because they do that as a, as a game management thing. But if you're really interested in game management, you should know your players and he should have known that he'd already booked Lamina. Yeah. So he should have booked one of the others. Well, look, I mean, he then might turn around and say, well, it doesn't matter. You know, the third person's meant to be booked. If that- yeah, but that's not in law. Right. That's just a directive. That's just a directive of well, game then management. Even, absolutely, Sam. I'm 100% with you. Yours, I'm not going to argue you, with you on the laws of the game. You, you know everything. And, and, you know, I don't. But well, you I, know, I you know more than most, mate. And, and, and fair play to you for that. You know, absolutely then, if that's the case. You know, you know that's going to completely change the game. It's, it's ridiculous. It's just shocking officiating. And, and at least we're not mentioning VAR in a bad officiating there. Yeah. But in terms of the game itself, you know, when you've got your manager saying, didn't really want them to go down to 10 men, you know you're not in a good place. And look, one thing I would say is, and, and I've been in the position before where you're really, really under pressure. You're ahead you start to get a little bit nervy or, or the fans start to get a little bit nervy in the last 20 minutes. You, you sort of sit back. You do exactly the opposite of what you should be doing. It's, it's kind of human nature, even though you should be. Look, use that. Make the pitch big. Use that extra man. But you're right. You have to find a way to, to, to not lose that game. I mean, you have to find a way to win the game, let alone not lose it. So it just summed everything up. And I think that game just really sort of summed up Nathan Jones's time at, at Southampton and and really and I feel for him I do I don't know the guy I said last week I, I want to sort of try and you know be supportive of British managers but he was out of his depth as simple as that and he was far too emotional uh, to be a Premier League manager and I think that game if the Southampton hierarchy you know they wanted to give him time clearly because they'd spent money in January but that game just said look we've got to do it now because we're, we're definitely going down with him. Yeah, I mean, look, listen, the internet is full of great manager quotes uh, and I'm sure that he will populate those lists for many time to come, but he is not a great manager. And sometimes, you know, the managers that speak the most actually and end up coming up with these catchphrases and these viral phrases, actually the ones that don't last very long. Um, You've got to be something special to talk the way he did and still stick around because he, I mean, he invited pressure, invited scrutiny. And ultimately, I mean, at Southampton, just what, what were they doing? I mean, we've spoken about it so many times. If you're going to replace a manager like Ralph Harsenhutl, at least have an idea as who you're going to have uh, come into his hot seat when you do pull that trigger. They obviously didn't because they wouldn't have um, appointed uh, Nathan Jones if that was the case. Um, I wanted to talk about call heads when you really need someone to... Uh, react in a sensible way towards an end of the game when everything else is going against you. And James Ward-Prowse took a free kick in injury time, which I thought was really inventive, really sensible, and 
It was the kind of sort of thing that you need from an experienced leader. Try something different, create a great opportunity for, for a teammate, which nobody else has spotted. The only problem is, is that he's the only one with any real experience in that team and nobody else is on the same wavelength as him. So he's passed the ball to someone in a load of space inside the box and that player just does not react. And that is the situation that Southampton are in. They've got some great quality, but not enough of it. And there's a lot of inexperience there as well. So I was going to say, well, congratulations to Wolves because they held on to over an hour. Uh, it's their second away win of the season. But the two manager jobs that are now available in the Premier League are Southampton and Leeds United. And those two are linked for a reason, aren't they, Crook? Yes, they are. And actually, uh, Southampton's game after next is against Leeds. And there is every possibility that Jesse Marsh could be facing his former club as Southampton manager. Now, this is not a done deal. It's important to stress that. But there is genuine interest from Southampton. They're exploring the possibility. It looks a bit mad uh, on the outset because Jesse Marsh has only recently been relieved of his duties. Two wins in 17 at Leeds tells its own story. But I can understand the criteria maybe for potentially going down this road. He's got links to the Red Bull system, as did Ralph Hasenhutl. I think there's a belief that the, the squad that Southampton have uh, would suit Jesse Marsh's style of play, that high press, the formation that you like to adopt at Leeds. And what you have to say about Jesse Marsh is that he brings positivity, where Nathan Jones, maybe with some of his ramblings and the way he went about things in training, brought negativity. Jesse Marsh is the opposite end of the spectrum. And he does have experience. He did keep Leeds in the Premier League last season. So I think it's a possibility. I know Steven Gerrard, fancies the job as well. I'm not sure they're going to go down that route. But I think what we can say about Southampton and Leeds is they're probably both shopping in a, the same supermarket. There aren't many decent buys to be had in terms of managers. The, the, the list of decent candidates who would want the job at this stage is quite slim. Leeds have found that already. Yes, I think scouting around at this moment in time for someone to take the job is very difficult, as Leeds have already sort of proved, really. Sean Dyche was sitting on the shelf waiting to be picked up and Everton act first, and they get him. And now you're in a situation where the type of manager that both Leeds and Southampton want is probably Sean Dyche, but he's already been taken. So they're looking for the next best thing. That isn't really obviously apparent to anyone. Jesse Marsh has just come out of a job. Difficult to go straight back into the, the fire after this uh, short space of time. But remember, he had a good six or seven month break before he took the Leeds job. So I'm not sure that he's cream crackered. If he does end up at Southampton, then that will end up being a, a guarantee of more great quotes in press conferences. But will it be enough to save them, Scott? Because they are already three points adrift at the bottom of the table. They don't have a great squad they are going to need some sort of magic to drag themselves out of this situation. I'm not sure that Jesse Marsh, and I'm a bit of defender of him because I think sometimes he gets labelled with the, he's American, so he doesn't know anything about football tag, which is completely unfair um, because he clearly is, he's got qualities. I think it's going to be very difficult. Absolutely, mate. And and look, I've been supportive of him to a point as well. And I, I thought that the, the sort of, you know, the American stuff was very disrespectful and Ted Lasso and all that kind of thing. And I, I think he's, he's actually just wrong. But I don't get it. I don't get it. I'm sorry. I don't get it. There's a guy who couldn't keep better players out of the, or away from the relegation zone. And now you're going for someone like him. I, I, I don't get it. You know, even Steven Gerrard, he, he got sacked in the Premier League because he Villa were going the wrong way. Why would you look at him right now? Where would you look? Would you be going 
to Spain to look for someone? Would you be going to France, another competitive league? Do you know what? The, where would you the, Where would you be heading? I mean, there's, there's some young coaches. There's in fact a very young coach in France at the moment who's doing very well um, in French football. Uh, who's Who's English and has gone and made his name out there? Um, I think still young. Yes, still, yes, he's yeah. Gone out there, yeah. Yeah, Lens, um, football manager, very, I think, didn't he? <laughs> but he's but he's but he's someone who's doing very well. Would you not take a punt on something like that, or would you would you go into the championship and find someone who's doing particularly well? Do you know what? They're not going to do that again, are they? No. Well, it depends. They 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 made the wrong pick there. Not everybody's like Nathan no, Jones, though, no. Because just because he came through the, I don't think anybody is like Nathan Jones. <laughs> no. Look, I I. I... I'd like to think, despite me being uh, far older than both of you, in fact, I'm probably as old as the t- two ages put together, that I'm not old school. Not but I just think you've got to look short term. And and if you have to try and find a way to stay up this season, forget about next season. Forget about developing. It's not as if Southampton are 10 points off getting away from relegation and they're down and you can start planning towards. Because as, as we all know, and I covered the championship, I think, for four or five seasons, that isn't always easy to get out of. And, and Vincent Company's doing an incredible job at Burnley. But there's still a lot of people also, a lot of teams that have not got back up within those first two years and the parachute payments have gone. Just go for the person you think can do it this season. Put him on an ender, give him a big bonus if he stays up, so he'll come in. What Leeds have done, and they've got to be careful now, let Southampton sack their manager. They waited far too long. And then they're going yeah. for people who are got got possibilities of winning titles in their country so why would they leave at this particular moment despite it being Leeds United and the, the- I, I never understood the idea that someone at Rio Vallecano a hero of Rio Vallecano would leave mid-season when they're on the opportunity they've got the opportunity to take them into the Champions League for the first time and God knows how long since Lepetegui was playing goal for them um, they would leave that scenario to go to Leeds United. Yeah. Now, as big as Leeds are, as big as the Premier League is, and we've mentioned this before, it is the NFL, that manager will be able to come in the summer once that job is done, or next summer, once he's completed the task that he's been set to do at Ryan Vallecano. Arnie Slot has got a massive release clause. He's got every opportunity of winning the Dutch title. Yep. He can wait till the summer. There will be a job eventually for him. So why does he need to make that move right now? I always have this very odd thing in my head about why clubs act and don't have a plan going forward. Why on earth would you do that? You know, it just, it, it baffles me. And both these two teams are guilty of that. Hassan Hutter was definitely getting sacked. So why didn't they have a backup plan? Jesse Marsh was always teetering on the brink from maybe what sort of before the world cup. Mm. So there was always a possibility that it could happen. Where was the backup plan? Where was, where was the next level? Why isn't Chris Wilder getting a call crook? I think because, to use Scott's terminology, he's regarded as old school and too many sporting directors, too many owners uh, don't want to go down that route. They try and reinvent the wheel, as Southampton did with Nathan Jones, and, and it backfires. Um, I think we we know that Chris Wilder is also a very combustible character. I think modern chairmen don't necessarily want to be challenged on that level. Um, but I, I, I get your point. I guess the question for Southampton is, do they believe in their heart of hearts, they've got a realistic chance of survival and therefore is a firefighter type manager or Chris Wilder or Sam Allardyce the right appointment? Or actually, are they trying to do a bit of forward planning here and thinking, well, we're going to end up in the championship. So let's look ahead to next season Even as well. Even if they end up in the championship, Chris Wilder would be a great appointment. Wouldn't he? True. Well, True. he ticks both boxes and two things on on that. 
Cookie, and you're right, and, you, and you're saying what they might be thinking, the board, but they're four points away. Four. And we've got a tough run of games, though. But the, the issue that Nathan Jones has had is that he's played a lot of the teams in and around them and lost. You know, a lot of their easy games Absolutely. have gone to Nathan Jones and he's messed them up. Um, it'd be interesting to see who gets the Leeds job, who gets the Southampton job. Give me two names for the Leeds job that are the big contenders now because we haven't really spoke about that. Brook? <laughs> well, I was actually told yesterday that they've approached as many as 10 managers and been rebuffed. Looks like Alfred Schroeder, uh, who was Eric Ten Hag's assistant and replacement at Ajax, is in the box seat. Spoke to Kev Hatchard about this fired. on Sunday night. He's, he's not convinced. Fired, yeah, he's not convinced at all. I don't think they've completely given up hope uh, when it comes to Rayo Vallecano. But as you say, that's going to be a difficult one to get over the line. But I would make those two the top two contenders. Southampton, I think at the moment, Jesse Marsh is a worthy favourite, but there is going to be a, a process in, you know, to get a couple of more candidates as well. I haven't got time to go through a big process. I just need to get it sorted out and get someone in the door. I don't understand it. It's so poor. Anyway, uh, but Leeds United are in a similar sort of boat. Dean Smith's available as well. We haven't mentioned him. He's a manager who's just been relieved of his duties at Norwich City, but he might be someone that could do a job short term. You never... Uh, no, West Ham and Chelsea drew 1-1. The big story from that game was the Socek handball. Uh, Fulham against Nottingham Forest, a defeat for Nottingham Forest. But boy, did Fulham play well in that match. Excellent performance, especially from William, who's been absolutely terrific. He hit the post and scored a goal in that game. He was wonderful. Uh, Palace Brighton, well, again, VAR robbing Brighton of the points in that game. Big game on Wednesday night, Arsenal against Manchester City on the uh, TalkSport Network. We're doing Champions League. We've got Milan against Arsenal, Dortmund against Chelsea. On Thursday night, it's the big one. It's Barcelona against Manchester United. Looking forward to that. All those games live on TalkSport. And we'll be back on Thursday at some point. Uh, maybe even Friday morning this uh, week to give you a preview to the weekend. Another big weekend of action on TalkSport, uh, which will start on Saturday with the Gunners going to Aston Villa. Will they still be top by then? The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, Hello Fresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 